0: Again, we'll just pray for him as he uh, comes and shares the message. Father God, we just thank you for this opportunity to, to hear your word preached and just pray for your servant Keith as he's um, speaking. That, um, yeah, you'll just help him to rest and just help him to draw on your wisdom and, and draw on your strength. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.
1: Thank you. An interesting topic that I'm going to address tonight About gender, sexuality, our identity, marriage and the Bible You know, without sex, none of us would be here <laughs> Some people seem doubtful <laughs> Well, I know that's how I got here I'm not sure about you But it's a topic in which there's a lot of conflicting um, voices I'm not sure why this is not changing for me. There we go. So we've got pleas that happen every week, in fact almost every day now, where there's pleas for the recognition of the so-called gay rights. And that reverberates through our culture. And then if you're a person who stands against that, you're ridiculed and considered to be bigoted, ignorant and so on. And so the issue is, does the Bible actually have anything relevant to say to us? When we were in New Zealand earlier this year, there was a vote taken by one of the major churches there about recognising or not recognising gay unions. And the church did uh, what often churches will do. They decided they wouldn't make a decision. They'd wait for another two years. And it was interesting to see the write-ups in the paper because of that and a lot of folk had some rather um, strong words to say about that particular domination. Just this last week Andrew Bolt's page in the Herald Sun um, highlights this issue and why are so many people saying no to a plebiscite? If you don't know what a plebiscite is, it's going to be a vote that the registered voters of Australia can actually say yes or no to a particular issue. The issue is whether or not to recognise gay unions as a marriage. Now, as you're aware, Ireland actually had a vote um, taken by the people, and they voted yes to recognising gay unions as a marriage. And many of the folk here celebrated that. But those same people now are saying, we don't want to vote here because of all the things it may or may not do. In other words, while they applaud the Irish, they don't want to trust Australians with the same chance of having a vote. Leading up to the election, um, about two weeks before the election, the Herald Sun ran a survey, and one of the issues was whether or not we should recognise gay unions as a marriage. 67% said no. And I suspect that why these folk are against the plebiscite is it's not gonna go the way that they would want it, therefore they say we should not have it. Now often folk who are advocating for the so-called rights of um, gay and lesbian people um, will say to you that this is what science is saying. But just this last week there was a major study being done of over 200 journal articles. And there were articles from biology, psychology and social sciences and they surveyed uh, this range of articles to do with um, gender and sexuality. So what did they discover? Now these folk are professors and um, high profile professors in the US. They found that there's no scientific evidence for a whole range of things. In terms of sexual orientation, the idea that people are born that way is not supported by the evidence or there's no compelling causal biological explanation for human sexual orientation. And when compared to the general population, the non-heterosexual subpopulation are at an elevated risk for a variety of adverse health and mental issues. And so they also um, summarise some of the other things. and they say that you know there's no evidence to back up the so-called claims of lesbians and gays, um, homosexuals, um, they won't find it in terms of research. Now I'm not too sure whether you're aware of all the various terms, but heterosexuality refers to those with an orientation towards a person of the opposite sex. Homosexuality are those who have a primary relationship with those of the same sex. And you may have seen the initials LGBT. These are folk within the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender community. And often they'll add a Q and an I and an A plus after that. So it's all inclusive. So does the Bible have have anything to say about this issue? And so tonight I want to look at eight passages, which I think throw light on what we as Christians... Need to believe, but also how we need to behave in terms of our sexuality. So, those are the passages that we will consider. Now, the Bible begins with God creating the heavens and the earth and mankind, humankind. And that provides the basis for our discussion of gender, sexuality, homosexuality, marriage, and the Bible. So, what does the Bible say? Genesis chapter 1, which is the first book of the Bible, we read Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in His own image, in the image of God He created them, male and female, He created them. The Lord God said, It's not good for a man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. So the Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with the flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man. And he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That's why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. So God created humans, male and female. He created them for each other. It's often been said that because Eve was made from Adam's rib, she was made to be alongside of him as an equal she wasn't taken from her toe so he could tread on her not taken from his head so she could outwit him but rather from his side so that she could be one with him, alongside of him now the Bible doesn't have a negative or prudish view about sex, it's not unenlightened in fact when the Bible talks about sex and sexuality it's quite frank in the way that it expresses itself So we read that God created man he created them plural male and female. So that means to be a human means to be sexually differentiated from another human. We're not all males, we're not all females. We're either one or the other. But we are created equal. Men are not superior to women women are not superior to men. But in our society often now women will see men as their rival rather than their equal. And that's a change that's happened in our culture. So our sexuality is fundamental to the difference between us as people. And so the female is the male, and the male to the female, that other person, that other man, and a such fellow man. Now for the constitution of Israel, They had to show that, that difference between male and female by their dress styles and by their hairstyle. In other words, that's what marked them out to be different, to identify whether they were a male or a female. Now you will know that the debate that's being used will say that the LGBT group of folk want to express marriage equality In other words, they're suggesting that a same-sex union, unless it's recognized as a marriage union, that somehow or other they're inferior. Hands up those who are married. Okay? Now, you folk there who are single, does that mean that you are inferior because you're not married? Now it's sad that the actual debate uses the word equality. Equality has nothing to do with marital status. It has nothing to do with your sexuality. It has nothing to do with your vocation. It doesn't have anything to do with your age. And so what makes us equal is to do with the way that God made us. Five times the Bible says that God created us, male and female, in his image. That's what makes us equal. Men are equal bearers of God's image, and females are equal bearers of God's image. There is no difference. In the New Testament, one of the writers reminds the husbands that their wife is equal. They share equally in God's grace, and so on. There's no superiority because of our sexuality, of our gender. We're equal, and we should recognise that and celebrate that. So all of us are born either male or female, and therefore we have to resist attempts where folk want to become something different to what they're born with as a male or as a female, wishing to be either asexual or bisexual. I don't know if you have an orchard, but let's suppose that one day there's a commotion down in the orchard. And the pear tree's in tears. And some of the trees are shouting abuse at the peach tree. And the pear tree was asking, why can't I be called a peach? After all, I'm basically the same as a peach. I wish I could be recognised as a peach. If I was called a peach, it would make me equal to a peach. It's just not fair to discriminate to discriminate against me. Why can't I be called a peach? Obviously, a peach is not a pear. Neither is a same-sex union the same as a heterosexual union. Why? Because they are different in kind. They are not the same. So that truth is embedded in nature. The Bible clearly affirms marriage as a heterosexual union between a man and a woman. And the Bible teaches that same-sex unions, like adultery, violate God's ideal. So Jesus asks this question. Have you not read that the one who made them at the beginning made them male and female, and said, for this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother, be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? So Jesus is saying that the union between a man and a woman in marriage is what God ordained from the beginning. It was his purpose. And so he says God joins these people together. And that's still true for heterosexual unions. It's a relationship, unique, and like any other. So let's have a look at these Bible passages and see what we can learn. Now you need to be aware there are folk Some in the church and some outside the church who want to discount these passages that we're going to look at. The first is the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. They were two cities down by the Dead Sea in Israel. Cities that were very corrupt and as God viewed those cities he decided that he should destroy them because of their evilness. Living in that city was a man called Lot with his wife and family. And so God sends folk there to um, warn him and to get him out of the city, two angels. And so they called to Lot, uh, sorry, and so he gives these men who visited him, these angels, hospitality. And the men of Sodom and come around Lot's door and say, give us these visitors that you've got there. So this is what they say. They called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we may know them. The word no is used seven times in Genesis for sexual intercourse. In other words, these folk were going to have homosexual rape on Lot's visitors. Now, that's the Old Testament. And you might say, well, that's the Old Testament and so on. It's before the nation of Israel. We can just wipe it off. But the New Testament has a comment about it. So we just can't dismiss it because it's Old Testament. The writer Jude says... In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They served as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. In other words, Jude is saying what was true in Sodom and therefore it was a perversion, it was immorality. And... The Greek word there has a little two letters in front of it, ek, which means to indulge in illicit sexual behaviour, and it emphasised the fact that they literally glutted themselves on this. In other words, sex was their God. Homosexual sex was their God. So that's one example. Then in the book of Leviticus, where God gives Israel laws for them as a nation... As part of their constitution as a nation, this is what we read. If a man has sexual relations with a man as one does with a woman, both of them have done what is detestable. In other words, God identifies a relationship of man to man in a homosexual relationship as detestable and repugnant. And therefore, it is condemned. Then we come to the New Testament. And this is the most explicit passage that we have in Romans chapter 1, which reads God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity to dishonour their bodies among themselves. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. For this reason, God gave them up to degrading passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. The men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless, shameless acts with men and receiving themselves the due penalty for their error. Now, nature means it's not according to what God had designed. In other words, these folk were acting in a way that God had never intended. So contrary to nature or, uh, or unnatural means that they're doing something that God did not intend or want. Now the reason they ended up in this situation was they rejected who God is. Now we're actually saying, if you like, a a musical rendition of the creed, I Believe In. And these folk decided they did not want to believe in God as God, and the result of that was a perversion of their sexual relationships. That's how they ended up in that same situation. So, according to Romans, homosexuality per se is wrong. It doesn't matter what the motives are, it doesn't matter about one's genetic makeup or hormone count. In terms of Romans chapter 1, homosexuality is in and of itself wrong. It's not what God intended. But then there's Corinthians. Now, to me, this is interesting. We need to say that homosexual activity is not the unpardonable sin. And you know that from this verse. Romans 6 says, Don't be deceived, neither sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, or greedy, or drunkards, or slanders, or swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. So sexual sin is only one of many sins that means will bar people from God's kingdom. And uh, so it's just listed as one of many. So the word that's used here refers to being a passive in a same sex relationship or effeminate, especially of men with, and boys who are sodomized by other males in such a relationship. And the second word used is one who lies with a male is with a female, in other words, a sodomite. So that's just one of many sins. That God is condemning in terms of that. Then there's another passage in 1 Timothy 1. And again, you find that um, sexual sins are mentioned along with a range of others. It's not the only sin that we can commit. We also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for the lawbreakers and the rebels, the ungodly and the sinful, the unholy and the irreligious. For those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, for those practicing homosexuality, for slave traders, kidnappers, and liars and perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine that conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God, who is to be trusted, who, who which He entrusted to me. So it's fairly hard to say, well hang on, we can just write that off when it's listed amongst a whole range of things that God describes as being sinful. So the seventh commandment says we're not to commit adultery and here in Timothy is a, an echo of that. It's a perversion of what God intended. Now, there's a range of myths about sexuality. Some say that sexual act is the only way to express love. So does that mean that a person who's not married can never express love? So it's a myth. Sexual expression is the only way to know true fulfillment. What happens when you get to 70 or 80 and you can't be involved in sex? Can you not be a fulfilled person? Or maybe before puberty? That's a myth. Third myth, sexual liberation means the Bible has no positive view on sex. That's a myth as well. Myth number four, God's instruction about sex can be ignored. Well, that's also a myth. And yet our society has really made a God of sex. And we need to be aware of that. Now, in the paper... um, 10 days ago it says be proud of who you are and a person says I'm a Christian and proud to obey what God says about sexuality and I think we should be proud to be that now here's a whole lot of penguins and they're all paired off except one who says I am single as though somehow or other they are inferior but Jesus models celebrate sexuality. So he is a man, lived for 30 plus years. We're not too sure how long. He was about 30, the Bible says, when he was baptised. Does that mean he was 32 or 28 or 29? It's about 30. And his public ministry was roughly three and a half years. So Jesus couldn't have lived until he was 36, 37 as a single person and he never failed in that but often our world will say this today I'll love you, tomorrow I'll leave you and we meet with folk who literally say this, oh I love this person today but now I don't and I'm going to leave because of that and that's not the way that the Bible sees things Um, so what's the challenge for us So there's pleas for recognition of gay rights and we can't escape that in our society. If you make a stand or statement against that, you're likely to be laughed at or worse. So what are we going to do? What's going to define you? Now Zach asked me something about um, how long have you been a Christian? And he asked me something about being a doctor and so on. But what defines you? What defines me? Are you defined by your gender? By your sexual activity? Your sexual sin? Or your union with Christ as a Christian? How do you identify yourself? Now, this lady here, and in what we're going to give you tonight, there's a bibliography in one of the books she was a high profile professor she was a lesbian, she was a non-Christian she was an atheist and over a period of two years this book will tell you about her journey in the end she becomes a Christian and because of her high profile as a professor and so on people will want her to come and speak But what she noticed was that they wanted her to speak because of her sexual sin. And she said, That's not me. That's my history. That's one of the sins I committed. But that's not who I am. That's not my entity. That's not my identity. Today I'm a Christian. I belong to Christ. That's my identity. Now in the back of the handout that you'll get tonight there's four pages which details who we are as a Christian in Christ. And if you and I read through those statements every day for a month I guarantee it will change the way that you think about yourself. Because it tells you who you are as a Christian. Tells you who you are because you are a Christian. The Bible says this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. That's my identity. Now that's true for every one of us who's a Christian. So when you think about yourself, how do you identify yourself? Is a male, a female, a mum, a dad, a teenager, high school student, A chippy? That's one of the folk over here. A plumber? Pastor? How do you identify yourself? You know, as Christians we should say, I'm a person who belongs to Christ. That's who we are. That's an eternal entity. So the challenge for us Are we going to do what the Bible says and submit to that or are we not going to do that? Is what God has decreed, are we going to accept that as a standard or not? Now a man or woman who lusts after a person of the opposite sex is not to pursue that longing. See, it doesn't matter whether you're a homosexual orientated person or not, just because you have desires doesn't mean to say you should fulfill those. In other words, I might see a beautiful little skirt going across the horizon and I think, wow, she looks better than my wife. Hasn't had as many birthdays. Martin Luther says you can't stop, you can, the bird's flying over your head, but you can stop them making a nest in your head. In other words, I can observe that and think, wow, that's a nice looking woman. But if I continue to fantasize about that person... And think well I'd like to get this person between the sheets that's lusting and that's when I've crossed a line it's one thing to acknowledge beauty but it's a different thing to lust after that and that can be true for any of us so a man or a woman who lusts after a person of the same sex is not compelled and doesn't have to or shouldn't pursue that longing we need to understand where our temptations come from. They come in different forms. Regardless of the biological basis for our temptation, you know, we can change our behavior and our, if we can overcome it. Now I believe that we can change the way that we think. And that can involve both our heads as well as our emotions. See the Bible says whatever is true whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable if anything is is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things Now you try and do that for a day You try and do what that verse says This is what you're to think about Now I'm not sure what preoccupies your head but I couldn't put a tick by all of those things each day a lot of other stuff goes through my head and some of it would be just straight out junk it doesn't do what this verse is saying and I can get preoccupied about some of the junk if you like but this Bible says in the battle of the mind we are to change the way that we think Romans says don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind now I've proved that that I've been able to change the way I think about certain issues, about certain people. There's some people who have crossed my boundaries in my life, and you can end up hating those people and fantasizing about how to get even with them. And it can be all-consuming. You can dream about it. You can think about it. It just obsesses you. As a Christian, that's not right or healthy. And I know I've changed the way I've thought about some of those persons. It hasn't changed the dirty rascals if you like, but it's changed the way I think about them. And today I think about those folk and I just feel sorry that they could act in those ways which are so wrong and so sinful and so ungodly. And in other areas. And so all of us have a battle of the mind. What goes on? And we're encouraged by scripture to transform our minds, be renewed in the way that we think. And this crosses a whole range of areas. The Bible says that temptation comes from our own desires and impulses, which entice us and drag us away. This desire gives birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. we have to be aware of what it is that we want in life and not everything that we want or desire or have an impulse to do is right we shouldn't allow those desires to give birth to actions I can remember when I was at high school and it was a high school of over 600 students it was co-ed and we went to school on a bus And all of us guys knew which girls on that bus had low morals. Not only the ones who were on the bus, but also at high school. And so when you're a teenager and so on, what do you think about? You think, well, maybe you can take advantage of such persons. That's desire. But are you going to act on that? Well, the answer was No. And I thank God that where there was desire and the opportunity to fulfill that desire never intersected, never came together. Desire can give birth to sinful actions. We're not to allow that to happen in our lives. So, who's going to win in our lives? Who's going to win the battle of our minds and of our desires in the area of our sexuality, our gender? Are we going to obey God and submit to him? We are going to be disobedient and therefore in danger of being excluded from heaven because of our actions. Now I think we're going to have a panel or whatever. I'll hand back to Zach. How are we going to run the next bit?
0: to have a bit of a time of uh, question and answer time. We've also got some questions that Keith has actually come up with, which are really helpful. Um, We're going to sit over here. I'll get some microphones going on. Give us a couple of minutes. While that's happening, have a think about questions that you might want to ask. We'll do our best to answer them um, and we'll see how we go. Okay? Have a think.
1: Cheers. ones we can't answer, we'll text through to John Ransom seeing he's not here. <laughs>
2: Can you hear
1: us?
0: Um, you just might need the microphone to record. <coughs> to record our wonderful voices. Okay. Sorry. So, um, just look over to my... Family. While um, Brent, Brent's sort of tinkering around for us, who would like to go first? With aggression? question? Cool.
2: Directly, one person in particular, or? Yeah. Well, we often hear in the Bible that it's supposed to forgive the sinners, but uh, condemn the sin. And just stuck sort of a half way something that the,
3: you can see the Bible telling us all the terrible things that the sin can cause. It's really hard sometimes to be cruel to people and just take the Christian on when you want to be their friend or you want to find witness to them. So I just wonder if anyone has any ideas how you go about that. The we have, like the
1: well I think it depends on how you, you view the person if you just uh, view them according to their sin you're going to have a hard job to relate to them normally and um, so if you relate to them as an equal as a person in God's image regardless of their sin or sinful behaviour it makes a huge difference and therefore we can show love, care, compassion understanding etc rather than an attitude which may be quite condemning and um, in fact wanting to have nothing to do with them.
3: I think also just just to help with that if we view the grace of God in our own lives uh, you see that right through scripture you see that in For all that he has done, I will pass that grace on, even though I might be an absolute horror to the sin. That person, as Keith said, is made in the image of God. And so the grace that doesn't count my sins against me should be the motivating and compelling factor to share the love of Christ with whoever. Uh, I think that that helps when I think through that situation, when I come
0: across those situations. Um, just quickly sorry and um a friend a friend of mine who is in a same sex relationship and um, I used to know him before I became a Christian um, I remember the day that uh, he heard that I became a Christian and we had coffee together and um, he sat down with me and he said to me this means that you hate me now because you've become a Christian I remember looking at him going where did that come from uh and I remember having a conversation with him and unpacking that, firstly, one, his misconception. And I think it was great what Keith... Like, I don't know if you wrote those verses. I would encourage you to do that. I know Keith and Catherine are going to hand out um, a bit more in detail. It really unpacks this really importance of seeing them as the image, made in the image of God. Marred, definitely broken. I and mean, that shifts how we deal and engage with that. It changes our hearts. But then only... The other thing I realized also with this friend of mine... Uh, you know, to this day, we sort of chit-chat on Facebook here and there, uh, but he, even to this day, you know, he sometimes says to me, I don't really want to see you, I hate you. Um, but I, to some extent, that my response shouldn't be like, I'm going to get defensive about this, I still need to lovingly care for him, but I've got to be okay that he doesn't agree with me, doesn't like my opinion, I've got to be okay with that. Um, does that make sense? Anyway. Sorry. We have relatives who
1: shacked up together and not married and so how do you support those relationships and we've got out of our way to be supportive, caring, loving etc we have a relative through marriage and um, he's involved with a same sex relationship and interestingly the guy that he's a partner with was brought up in a very conservative Christian church um and you just treat them as as human beings, not according to their sin. Um, and you probably like what Shabu says. They imagine that we hate them, but that's not the issue.
2: Is
4: this working? Yes. Hello. Well, uh, <clears throat> I think we're all aware of um, that the Bible is unambiguous about sexual immorality and a whole range of things that are included there. Um, But certain sections of the media and certain political parties are now not wanting a plebiscite because they can see hate being unleashed all from one side, from Christians condemning homosexuals and being homophobic and haters and bigots and so forth. All of those words are used already before the... it's even begun, and it's all very one-sided. Um, I know for myself, and I probably speak for a lot of people here, I'm not homophobic. Uh, I'm not a bigot. Um, certainly the Bible condemns not only homosexuality, but a lot of other sexual sins are included in that word pornia, um, which are equally offensive to God. And uh, you know, I think... The the problem is God doesn't condone this. But how do we then try and convince these people who are accusing us of all these very negative things that we're not that way inclined, that we love people of all (coughs) persuasions and so forth, and yet the act has, has been said as what's offensive to God, and therefore we don't condone it. And if we put in a no vote, we don't want to change the Marriage Act as it now is. We're being accused of something that we're not.
1: Well, I think the sad thing is actually we've got folk who have given Christians so-called a bad press. Therefore, the adjectives I've used in describing folk who may belong to the lesbian, gay community, etc., um, um, wasn't caring and was very condemning and very high-handed, so we can't undo those statements. Um, The Christian community is is divided in itself often on the issue, so um, if they name-call us, we're just going to have to bear that. Um, We can't avoid that, but the way they react and act towards these folk makes a massive difference. You know, we've got two folk in our street one lives in this house and there's a, another house down here well, this guy goes back to this woman here she's a single mum and vice versa and so on yeah, how do you react to those two people You know, she's a newcomer to the street the guys have been there for ages um, we just treat them normally which I think surprises them because I become their father confess and we know more about themselves than they do I think um, but we shouldn't relate to them because of their behaviour that's for sure And we just try to be helpful and kind and and so on. Um, We give them some bread. We don't put poison in it, rat poison. Um, (laughs) This sort of thing.
3: You know, it's a really difficult one, Ian, because the Word of God tells us what is right and what is wrong. It's propositional truth. So, we have truth before us but it's about our own heart and our own attitude towards those who the the reality is that they're contravening God and his his uh, design for marriage his design for sexuality and all those things so we understand that from God's word but how does our, our how is our response to that uh it may not be that particular thing it may be any other sin what is our response to people who are openly in sin really shaking their fist at God because of that Um, and I think the Bible clearly tells us follow Jesus' example love your neighbour as yourself Um, show them the love of Christ show them they created the image of God for a purpose, and that purpose is to have a relationship with Christ. The gospel can break those things down. Gospel-centered living is about breaking those barriers down so you can actually walk into that person's life and show them the truth of the liberating gospel because they're in bondage. Before all of us were saved, we were in bondage. And that's the, that's the thing. And, and But we have the message of life. And uh, so you don't openly condemn because they do not know any better. But you do show the love of Christ with the purpose that the Lord can work in the heart and break that bondage away. That, it's tough. It's, it is tough. And we will be called those things, as Keith said. We're going to be called bigots. We're going to be called narrow-minded. We're going to be called whatever the other words are. But I encourage us to stand on the truth of what we know. Because that's more important,
4: it is, in a loving we're too way. Sorry.
1: Yeah. No you try and get on seven seven four, with you know, with John Fain on talk back and see how you get on. <laughs> so. Yeah, you'll get
3: coloured in these quickly.
1: Yeah. It's not easy for our voice to be heard in a positive sense. So They don't want
3: to hear our message either. That's the other thing.
5: Yeah. Uh, 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 sorry. I, <laughs> you'd have the mic next. Say, I'm sure you're right in everything you we say. But on a personal level I have to say, I feel hugely upset. To be living in a society now where
6: blackness for called white for evil and evil is for good and when I look at the passage that you mentioned there before actually what we're seeing around us homosexuality and all of that is already the outcome of God's judgment because what he says is because they didn't care at all about him because they gave him away that's why he gave them over to their desires. Now that is judgment, isn't it? That, was, that is God's response to what they have already chosen. You wanted so much? Okay, you But I, as a Christian, I have to say I find it hugely upsetting. All of us
1: well, I mean, say, so God got upset about Sodom and Gomorrah, but um, historians will say that the Roman Empire virtually dissolved from the inside because of their morality. And um, no nation and no individual can get away with defying God and acting in ways that are contrary to what he wants. And God chooses his time to react to that, and he's um, merciful and so on. Um, it is distressing. But there's, there's a positive way of looking at it. You know, the Bible says all of these sorts of things are going to happen, and that's so-called last days. So, you know, the Bible says, well, lift up your head. Christ's coming is near. And so, you know, um,
6: another,
1: another you can be cheered up. You think, well, hang on. Um, that means that the coming of Jesus is much closer. I won't say, well, one, well I will say it, but one pastor said, you know, Jesus' is coming is closer today than it was yesterday. Well, yeah, that's logical, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, so you can be distressed because of sin, but also you can think, hang on, um, this is symptomatic that God is going to wind things up, and therefore we need to have compassion for those who um, we don't want to see them caught up in God's wrath and uh, share the gospel with them. Conspire us to do that.
3: Yeah. So it's, I, I hear what you're saying, Judith, and that passage in Romans is amazing because what is the, the sole focus on is that the creature we are now worshipping ourselves as opposed to the creator that's why God has given us over because in our own humanism and our own self-importance we've put God's standards aside and we were worshipping ourselves and that's not just in the area of um, sexuality it's right throughout our society, and that's the the world we currently live in 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 the Western world we live in that whereas god is he is uh, the gospel is spreading through china is spreading through africa it's amazing the people that are turning to Christ in those countries but in the western world we're worshiping the creature and not the creator and we're reaping the rewards and hence all us sort of legislations that's coming through we've, we've moved from God's standards Yeah I think uh, Judith summed it up very well and uh,
5: I guess in Revelation uh, you also see that man's heart, uh, heart was hardened as well uh, my question is more about our young people and we've got just a few young people here tonight um, and I guess my concern is what is being portrayed through media and social media to our young people to the point where we know certain kids at certain Christian schools use this, I don't know what gender I am as a fad. In fact, we were talking to a young girl um, a week or so ago who mentioned that at her school There is this fad amongst the girls where they're basically saying, well, I'm homosexual, I'm transgender, I'm all sorts of various bits and pieces, and they're using it as a fad more than anything else. And I guess I've got a real concern about the fact that that how do we get these messages that we're talking about tonight across to our young people in a very succinct and clear way so they've got something to stand on when they go to school and hear this sort of things happening amongst their peers
1: I'm not sure how many of you watched Australian Story where um, you had this boy who felt that he was a girl trapped in a boy's body and the fact that the Premier of our state had been to see that person and so on I think that the best education is in our homes and so if these folk have Christian parents that's the best place to begin and what the parents model um, if they don't have that advantage of having Christian parents who are able to talk um, I was talking to a folk the other day and they said my mum and dad don't talk about sex to each other and certainly not to us so I'm not too sure how husband and wife get on together like that but that's what they said um, so outside of that I think as a church and as a youth group we can help um, but w- whether they will listen to us and not to their peers is, is a big, big issue. Peer pressure is a real thing and um, we need to pray for them and certainly pray for parents of children because they've got a major task to be able to teach counterculture.
0: i I just um, say, Andrew... Uh, the other thing I've been wrestling with as well is so my background is um, public relations and marketing. Uh, So the campaigns that you're seeing are well uh, thought out marketing campaigns Uh, and so we've got to be careful that we don't buy into it because they're in a sense selling a particular product if you want to put it that language. So it's a minority that's trying to make it sound like a majority. So that's any marketing campaign that's the thing they want to push. you know. So that's one side. So we, we can't fall into that trap as Christians we've got to be careful we don't just go into um, fear or panic we've got to trust that Jesus who is sitting on the right hand of the Father is ruling he's under authority he's in control he's you know uh, all of those things and in light of that I think um, you know Beck and I have been thinking about it as ourselves so our three kids you know um, we are most likely going to put our son into a primary school that's a government school uh, both just season of life but also um we do actually want to engage with a lot of non-Christians and so so we're having this wrestle but we're realizing that it like Keith exactly said it begins at the home uh I haven't got it together there are times I still stuff up but I'm trying to figure out how to teach my son that he's uh, a man uh, and using that kind of language and uh, and in, you know even with Micah all these kind of things I'm trying to figure it out and I think first it begins at the home secondly I think also exposing our young people to to um, things that are relevant to them that they understand in the media that actually show the other story. Um, There are testimonies of those who uh, have actually found out what this identity means and what it means to be made in the image of God, who've come out of same-sex attraction backgrounds. Uh, There's a website called Living Out. Living Out is written by a guy called Robert Bourne. He's an evangelical um, minister in England. Uh, He's had same-sex attraction himself, but he's not living that out because he believes the Bible is his authority. And he's created this website where there's all these wonderful articles and videos of people wrestling with that and understanding what God's design is. So exposing them to those things is really helpful. Um, And I think having discussion is something I'm realizing because I'm sure this doesn't happen here, but sometimes churches may feel like it's a youth group's responsibility to fix my kids' when it comes to porn and and sexuality. Well actually, we're there to support what you guys are already teaching at home. So uh, I think it sort of, and having that dialogue is really important, open dialogue. Um, Just to give you an idea about it, um, two weeks ago we did a sort of, you know, put your question in a box kind of thing. Uh, Most of the questions were about pornography, about how far is too far. Um, So they're already watching it. The statistics shows by the age of 10, a, a, a boy's already watched porn. Now, so we need to engage with it earlier, not later, or wait for that moment. It's probably. Yeah,
3: I, I think it's really wise what Shub said there. It's about our own ability to communicate as well, and not to be frightened of the subject. I think sometimes we get frightened of these things with in our parenting with our kids. have we've, we've got to be engaging often. on a a biblical base about these are the the things that the Bible teaches and and consistently, because this is the biggest issue, consistently show that the word of God is authoritative. It is our rule for life. It is inerrant. Those things, because that's where the attack is. The attack is on the sufficiency of scripture. And I think we, we should, as families and individuals, and if we've got kids and discipleship relationships move them always to that as being their final authority, not the website, not the social media not this aspect here or that aspect there but draw them back to the word of God
0: yeah. I'd say if you have a, um, a a son or daughter that's using social media already you need to be their friend on Facebook you need to follow their Instagram account, you need to stalk them uh, <laughs> And it sounds silly, but I'm telling you now, the amount of parents I know who have no idea what their kids are up to and all the social media and things, um, there's plenty of resources about that, but I'm just saying you need to stalk them. Uh, and, and you do it lovingly. You tell them honestly about that. Um, and uh, you do that because you love and care for them. But anyway, and is there another question? If you don't talk to this gentleman who just said that. (coughs) Yeah, they'll they will, but that's okay. Yeah. Is there any other questions, sorry? Mr. Bryce?
1: I wasn't trying to say that we're its. I think for me it's desire so it's not limited just to desiring something with somebody of the same sex and that's where the battle's going to be won or lost and um, some people have been able to win that battle and some haven't
2: that. Change and become heterosexual. And if so, well,
1: I'll Yeah, I'm aware of him and he wrote the book, I think, um, washed all cleansed but still waiting. Yes. Um, the issue is at what point does desire become sin? Yes. And so... I wouldn't like to make that call God can make that call but Jesus talked about lusting after somebody in our hearts and the Bible also says that we're to guard the issues of our heart um, so in the area of temptation if that desire is all consuming I think that as a Christian I'm in a dangerous place
2: Yeah, I don't think it's about a person whose orientation. My orientation is heterosexual, so I'm attracted to the opposite sex. The person who is who is attracted to the same sex—that's what I'm talking about. He, it, it's not. He would say, or she would say, who would say that that's how they work. That that's how.
3: Would they be saying they're born that way, or what? I don't understand? I'm, I'm trying to understand the question, Peter. Yeah. What? Could you help me with that? They... Well, I'm
2: just saying that the West Hills, uh, here's something I don't know about. He, as he grew up, he realized that he wasn't having the same sort of thoughts as the other guys, that his, his attraction was towards a person of the same sex. And I'm saying that that um, he didn't give those desires to go and commit uh, homosexual acts, and he realized as a faithful Christian that is wrong. Um, What I'm trying to say is that there are people who... um, Some people are attracted to... On one one extreme, people are uh, are attracted to the same sex, and on the other end, people who are attracted to the opposite sex, and there's a whole lot of things in their brain. Um, All I'm trying to say is that there are people, not because they've sought after it, not because they've been influenced by anybody else, but as they've grown up, within their own being, they have this um, attraction to the other sex, uh, to, to the same sex. So all I'm saying is, do we as Christians expect that person to change a uh, heterosexual um, person? And, and is that really a fair...
3: Um I, I, was, I, would, I would hope that that person, through the power of the Holy Spirit mind would be renewed as keith uh, talked about it's about renewing of the mind renewing of the heart to follow christ and uh that's where i think as as keith was saying it's not giving over to the desire you may you may have attraction that way but it's about taking 1 corinthians 10:13 there's no temptation that is it's common to man So God is faithful Who will provide a way of escape And the way of escape is the renewing of the mind it's the spirit of God transforming and changing That person into Into Christ likeness right
2: That's right But isn't that separate to A person's sexual orientation Well I'm not sure
1: Because this book that I mentioned This lady was the female version Of what you're saying And um, she became a Christian and um, this book talks about her pilgrimage so that that was changed and um, so she, married? she is married she's a pastor's wife um, so I'm not prepared to make it. I call in the case of one person like the man you mentioned um, and and I'm a fan of what's called rational emotive therapy, where I think people's thinking and um, emotions can be changed um, by God's grace. But um, I don't want to make a call on an individual, and um, I don't know enough about him as a person. There's a sense in which it's the same as any other sin, mm. you know, right? really want to kill him, right? Well, not tonight. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to come back to the question I, I
7: was going to use that um, sort of example and just talk about um, Can I just like, wait for yeah. a
1: second um, in my hometown there were two guys who were drunkards and they both got converted um, for Bill um, alcohol was a constant um, temptation for the rest of his life if he went down the same side of the street where there was a pub he just could not help himself but go in, and he would come out drunk. For the other bloke, we'll call him Mike, from the day he was converted, the temptation for alcohol was gone forever. Now, why God dealt with him differently, I have no idea. You can check out with God when you get there. But, um, so one struggled for the rest of his life with a disposition um, as an alcoholic, and the other one, no problem. Now, the case that you're mentioning is a person like that. And, um, yeah, he, he, he described it as his cross to bear. Well, um, yeah. But this person hasn't committed anything. No, no, I understand. He's not, he's not acting out his desire. I know says, that. But so where does that but desire come from? You're entertaining the thought and your people of the, head or the and that's what has to change. Well, yeah, that's
2: true. So... Doesn't
1: it, he doesn't submit. He doesn't give it into those desires, but still remains as a as a person who is attracted to the same sense. Yeah. He just has to be wise and alert.
7: You know. Yeah, I, I go and think about um, my example here, and I'm just yes, thinking. And talk, yeah. yeah. Go for uh, it. Um, I um have I, I go and um understand like where you're thinking, but the um it, we're talking about um, the Bible sets out what sins are. We have, um, so homosexuality is listed as a sin. We know pornography is. And I go and think, okay, for myself, um, as a male, and I've struggled in the past with this as well, with um, a desire to go and look at pornography. Um, and I've fallen for that in the past. Now, um, is that right or like that's a wrong thing and like the bible sort of clearly goes and shows that that's a wrong thing now i know when i'm on the internet i need to be careful it's only ever a couple of clicks away that's the reality of what the internet is now do i need to how do i go and deal with that um and I go and see the response very much like I, I go and consider, and I think a lot of males end up with that sort of... There's a proclivity towards um, uh, towards pornography. Like, our, our brain in many ways is wired to be... Like, we're a visual um, people, and it's a constant temptation. Some people, so they, they might find they can move right on from it. Other people find that's just going to be something they're really going to struggle with. But... Um, uh, it still doesn't make it right like even if it's a struggle for someone doesn't make it right to um to uh, give in to it and so it's I, the difference between the actual sin of of doing something versus versus the sort of wiring that that might be in a particular person so uh, the Bible goes and sets out clearly um things that are right and wrong, and then I also think. Even in my marriage relationship, like there's times where like we might sort of more or less um, sort of struggle, and like the, the desires we, we go up and down through the seasons of life, um, but um, we know that, um, that there's a certain um, a design. God goes and sets out right relationships, and so using the Bible as our measure for everything. I think I'm not, not sure I'm getting it out the way that I wanted to, but
0: friends. Oh, it's a it's good discussion, I'm sorry, but just letting you know we're time-wise, we'll have to wrap it up soon. So, Was that... Was that? Noel, did you want
4: to... Look, I wonder how many of us have read the current issue of the Turkey magazine. Mm-hmm. There's a testimony in there which is right along the lines
2: of what this is about. the same, same fellow, is it? it, it same same it. fellow. Yeah, okay, read it. And there was one about four months ago.
0: I'll
1: make yours the last just recognising that
4: discussion and it continues but not on that line as Christians do you believe we should have a social voice on this issue publicly, in other words say our reasons why uh, we oppose
1: safe schools program, same sex marriage and I guess rule of thumb I believe is that when people don't believe the Bible it's not a lot of good quoting the Bible to them to say this is our reason in other words other pragmatic reasons we might be able to give and if we do have that voice is it just the church or do we align ourselves with any other people in
4: common? with?
1: Well I've sent emails to every politician in the Liberal Party the National Party Labor Party Greens Party I missed out the six people um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, so that's having a voice and um, I was telling them why I didn't want the definition of marriage to be changed um, I wrote to Mr Turnbull because he gave a lecture down here why he wasn't convinced by those who are opposing the change to the law and I read what he had to say and wrote to him um, he didn't reply but that doesn't matter um, <laughs> so I think we can have a voice that way Um, but a wise person said to us we have to ask the question what is the good fight of faith and we can become preoccupied with some things that don't really fit into the the good fight of faith Um, and therefore we have to think about how we're going to spend our time our resources etc Um, Does it contribute to fighting the good fight of faith? And um, each of us will have to answer that for ourselves. Um, Yeah. I don't want to get up on the town hall steps to talk about this. Not because I'm afraid of the reaction, but I don't think God wants me to spend my time that way. I get their emails, but I don't contribute to their finances.
0: <laughs> um, I, I would also say, um, Ken, Yes, I think uh, you know, God. We live in a democratic country, and we should be have the ability to um, exercise We should, um, particularly on issues, not on on issues that are close to our heart, and we should have the opportunity to do that. But the other thing I would also encourage us is to be praying for God to bring people into those spheres. Uh, We need men and women who are Christ-centered in the media. We need men and women who are going to be in the political parties representing Christ. We need men and women who uh, have the stories like Wes Hill and others uh, who share these stories, uh, who share Christ uh, in a a scenario where we might not be able to. So I think that's the other thing we have responsibility as a church uh, to keep doing that. On that note, because I've got the microphone, I'm going to pray for us. Please continue the conversations if you want to do after. um, And please, uh, yeah, continue those chats. Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you for this wonderful time to debate and talk and, and to wrestle with these truths. To consider that you and your grace made us in your image. To consider that you were willing to pursue us and make us your sons and daughters. To give us a new identity, make us fully secure in you, and then to live these truths out, not just to keep it to ourselves. Lord Jesus, we live in a broken world, you already know that, and as soon as we turn our backs on you. The day is coming when you will return, and we look forward to that day, and we pray for that day. But until that day, grant us grace to be faithful servants, and proclaim your truth, both in truth and also in love. Enable us through your spirit to do that. We pray for our nation. We ask for your forgiveness for the times that we continuously turn away from you. We pray for those who are in the spheres of making decisions for our country, that you would influence them, that you would raise up men and women into those places. We pray for our next generation uh, who will come behind us, who will be living in a different world in the next few years. We pray that for those who know you, that you will keep them stable and strong in the faith. And help us, uh, those of us who are ahead of these younger generation, to invest into them, to invest these truths. May it be for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.